Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. So today, a week late, we're starting a new series, and I'm entitling it, Look Up, Clarity for the Road Ahead. Now, for some of you who may have done some binge-watching across the end of Christmas and into New Year's, you might know that there's a movie called Don't Look Up, and if you were like, I wonder if there's a connection, yeah, I'm not going to make it real explicit, but yeah, there kind of is, and I'll let you all sort that out. And the people I would have expected are all nodding in the sanctuary. You do my heart good today. Thank you so very, very much. But yes, suffice it to say, in that movie, nobody wants to ask the questions that need to be asked. Okay, hence the idea, don't look up. Well, I intend to ask some questions that we need to ask. Because I've always felt, and I know it doesn't feel like the start of the new year, but I will invite you to indulge me just for a little bit since we're starting a week late. I have always found that the best way forward at the start of the new year is always to go against the grain. The entire world and our cultural impulses all say, find your answers for the year ahead. What will we do? What will we accomplish? I've always found, though, that whether it's setting resolutions or goals or whatever, I have always found that my spirit is, my spirit is opened up not with answers, but with questions. That is, of course, in the spirit of Jesus, who, who throughout his ministry provided myriads of questions and precious few answers with, that came with any kind of clarity. And even even Jesus, most of Jesus' answers netted the response, well, what does that mean? Read any one of Jesus' parables, and it lands either with a question, or if he tells you something straight up, the question in your mind is, well, what am I supposed to do with that? It always leads us to a question. Faith, it seems, in the spirit of Jesus, is to live with those questions and letting them lead us to new places. And if that is true for you and me, and I believe it is, then it is also true for us as a congregation. The beginning of a new year is full of possibility. Today is a new consistory. A few weeks from now, we will install a whole group of new members. We began that process today. There's already new ministry teams forming. Then we'll have a congregational meeting that will set an agenda for the year. But what informs all that? What questions are we asking? That's what I want to ask. And so today, I want to begin with a question, and I don't want to move off of your streaming services quite yet. Because Pop Culture 2022 started a bit early for me, and it started in a very old place with some very new answers of, of all things. Any of us watching the Book of Boba Fett? Anybody at least? Please, thank God somebody is watching Book of I have every indication that all of our in, uh, online people are like, yeah, I'm watching it. Some of you are watching it right now. Don't do that. Um, but... <laughs> But yeah, so I've been watching Book of Boba Fett. I'm a hardcore Star Wars fan, and no, not all of these questions are going to start with Star Wars references. It's just as I sat down to write this sermon, there was this, this Boba Fett image was so powerful to me, and so I want to begin this. If you, it, and in the Book of Boba Fett, this new show that's on Disney+, Plus, it gets right to a question that all of us have been asking since 1983. Yes, the, that was the year after I was born, and it was the last time the Orioles won the World Series, but let's not talk about that. 
The question that Star, the question Star Wars fans have had since 1983 is, how does Boba Fett get out of the pit that he falls in in Return of the Jedi? How does he get out of that? And how does he escape being slowly digested over a thousand years? If you're like, if you aren't familiar with Star Wars and that doesn't sound good to you, it's not. But the book of Boba Fett opens up in the dark and it shows him down in the belly of this terrible monster. These visceral entrails all over the place, this great beast. And suddenly we get this little bit of light and he starts fighting his way through and Boba Fett is this bounty hunter who's got gadgets and gizmos all over him. I mean, all of us have wanted to be, whether it's, whether it's you wanted to be a Star Wars guy or even if you were a cowboy kind of a person, you liked having stuff hanging off your belts and you liked, you know, stuff hidden in your forearms, yada, yada, yada. Well, Boba Fett gets out his, get out, gets out his flamethrower, which is attached here, and he blows a hole in the side of the beast and he climbs out into the sand. This, he's on a sand planet. And then he slowly and surely starts crawling up until finally we see this gloved hand reach out through the desert sands. And Boba Fett pulls himself out. And any of you who have farmed for any length of time, he looks like a newborn child. There is goop all over the place. And that goop is just now covered in sand. And my farmer people will know bedding and all that kind of stuff. It gets goopy and you're just covered. You're like, Sam, you going somewhere with this? Yeah, actually I am. Is it that bad? Is it really that rough that you're like, where are you headed with this? The man who was born on an ocean planet is now reborn on the desert planet of Tatooine. It is the clearest image of rebirth I have seen in popular culture in maybe 10 years. This man who had a life, an unseemly life, falls into a dark pit and emerges out with new life where he wasn't supposed to have it. You feel better now? We good? We're all, okay, thank you, th thank you, honey. As he lies there in his armor, yes, covered in this goopy, sandy mixture, the question, which is at the heart of this story that is still playing out on Disney+, Plus, is, well, who is Boba Fett now? Who are you after you've died and rose again? This image is, for all intents and purposes, a baptism. It is a baptism in sand instead of water, but that is not uncommon for our world. There are cultures for whom water is such a precious commodity that they actually do baptize with sand. Sounds odd to us, but it makes sense if you were in that culture. The story of Boba Fett is not unlike the story of baptism that we tell, the story of Jesus himself. And baptism is always a bigger story than we conceive of at the moment. Baptism is always asking us to work our imagination beyond what we sort of do in a liturgy when we're over here at the font. Because, yes, for most of us, most baptisms we've seen have been babies. And we baptize babies and we say, oh, isn't that wonderful? It's the start of new life and all this kind of stuff. And all of that is true. But at its core, baptism asks a bigger question. The question that baptism asks us is, who are we? And who are you? Yes, it calls us to look forward as we do when we baptize a baby, and it's rightful that it should do that. What is the life ahead of us? We ask that about children. We ask that about ourselves. But baptism also asks us to look backwards. How did we get to this point? Who is the family? Who is the, con who is the community into which this child is baptized? How have we gotten here? And then baptism also asks, where are we going? 
All of this gets to that fundamental question at the heart of baptism. Who are we? And that's a question that is worth us turning over at the beginning of a new year. Scripture helps us understand how we might approach that question. Because simply to throw that question out can be as confusing as it can be clarifying. It can be as challenging as it is helpful. So as we look at the story, because Jesus' baptism just doesn't show up out of nowhere, it comes to us in a context. Well, the context is very clear for us. It starts with the people of Israel. And it starts with a people in the crisis of identity. It is a people who do not know who they are. Well, what happened to Israel? Why in the world does Israel, God's chosen people, why do they not know who they are? Well, it's very simple. We talked about this at confirmation the other night. Israel's identity for generations was, we are God's people, adopted in Abraham, liberated in Moses, and planted on the land through Joshua and through leaders who came after him, put into a land for relationship with God. That's who we are. We've got the law, we've got the Ark of the Covenant, we've got tablets, we've got everything we need to live as God's people. We have a story and we know what God's asking of us. Well, what does that mean then when your people and that identity is completely blown apart when you are conquered and shipped off to a foreign land? When you were promised land you were promised a nation and that those laws would protect you and then none of that happens. Here you are in a foreign land not knowing where you are. What does that do to your sense of identity? Well, it corrodes it. When they were conquered and their cities burned to the ground and their citizens marched to foreign lands, they are in a sense reborn. Those old stories are no longer going to support their understanding of self when they're living in another nation which God had never said was going to happen. If all you've ever known is God in the land, how can you know God apart from the land? If all you've ever known is God inside of a temple, how can you know God apart from the temple? They have no capacity to answer these questions anymore. So they've got to look forward. And God sends the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah starts what we read today with these words. He says, but now... But now, there's a, there's a break here. Yes, I understand the stories that we've told. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Samson, Deborah, yada, yada, yada. But now, thus says the Lord, and that's a statement of authority. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. God identifies them and says, you know who you are? You are my creation. This language goes all the way back to Genesis 1. It seems very clear to me. As the world was created and formed, so Israel has been created and formed out of the goodness and the love of God. He says God's only identity is in relationship to his creation. God says, you who, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, says this. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Fear not, friends, for you have already been redeemed, even as you live in the uncertainty of a new nation. Lying here on the harsh sands of the moment in which you find yourselves, wondering if you'll make it or not, God says, I have already redeemed you. I've claimed you as my own. I've made you my own. You are under my care and protection. I have not abandoned you. I am with you, 
and you are mine. Isaiah says quite clearly that our identity is no longer in or defined by what has been. God says, I'm going to aim you forward and your identity is going to grow and it is going to develop. God charts a path forward for the people. He says it's a path that's not without challenges. He says, when you pass through the waters, I shall be with you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. These dual images, water and fire, you would think they are colliding. But listen deeper. If we're going all the way back to Genesis, water is often a notion of chaos. I mean, you can imagine being a people back in the day. We didn't have ships and you didn't have radar and all that kind of stuff. The ocean was this vast mystery. It continues to be one for even us. Water was representative of chaos. When you walk through the chaos, I will be with you. Fire, of course, is a much easier metaphor for us to get our minds around. Burning up, reducing to most pure form. That's what, you know, fire purifies, right? When you walk through the fires, you're not going to be burned. And the flames are not going to chew you up and consume you. Water, chaos, fire, purification, destructive elements in large quantities are rather not an element of our destruction. They are rather an element of our growth. They become opportunities for strength, growth, renewal, not making us less of who we are, not reducing our identity, but making us more of who we are. Fire and water become identifying marks of our very deepest selves. So Israel's ears are going to perk up then. These people are holding on to this promise when everything else is gone by the wayside. Their ears perk up when another prophet comes through town. Generations later saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Water and fire, not an accident. And it's, it's not, perhaps not surprising as we watch God work that Israel finds itself in another scorched earth moment. An unstable and oppressive political reality, violence as a constant threat and frequent reality. And into that reality, John the Baptist says, fire and water. And then Jesus comes to be baptized. And as he goes down into the water, again, a symbol of dying, and he comes back up out of the River Jordan, he hears a voice. And the voice says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Lying here, soaking wet, without a history that we have any real idea of, and facing a road that leads through the desert, God says to Jesus, you are my beloved child. That is the way of Jesus. Jesus gives us this answer. In baptism, we become the beloved child. And for all who are linked to Jesus in baptism, we hear the exact same words. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. As you sit right now, you are the beloved child of God. And where else would we start a year except with that most fundamental notion? But what Jesus does is he gives us that answer so that we might ask the question. You are my beloved child. Well, friend, what does that mean? And that is fraught with possibility. It is intended to spur us to something deeper. There is nothing in all the world 
friends, that can change this fundamental pronouncement of God. The truest thing about you, the truest thing about me, the truest thing about us is that we are the beloved child of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean for all of my history? The history that directly belongs to me and the history that I inherit. What does it mean that we are God's beloved child when we look back on our own lives and say, well, here's the things I'm kind of proud of, and then here are the things I'm kind of not so proud of. What does it mean that in all of that, we are still God's beloved child? What does it mean for all the history that we inherit, whether it's the history of this place or this town or our family or our nation, even the world, we inherit all of that, all of history has led to our baptism. What does it mean that we are still, in spite of all the brokenness and all the beauty, I am still the beloved child of God? And what does it mean for us going forward that we are still the beloved child of God? Both these questions, thinking about our history and thinking about our future, will take us to some difficult places. But remember, when God says, though you go through the water, I will be with you. And though you walk through fire, I will not abandon you. How do we know that? Well, because that's what happened to Jesus. Jesus walks right through the water. We see God literally. And Jesus goes right from his baptism into the desert where he is tempted by the devil. Jesus goes through fire and water as well. It is a time of temptation, yes, it is a time of great burden, but it is also a time of clarity. Jesus explores this question of his identity. He explores his own messianic purpose. I mean, even Jesus got to be blown away by the heavens opening. One of the things, I wish I knew what it looked like. What does it look like when the heavens open? I don't think it's clouds. Something else happened. Jesus has questions about that, I'm sure, which is why he went to the desert for 40 days. And it was a mission of purpose and a mission of clarity. And that path that Jesus walks is a path we are invited to walk as well. Not simple answers, but exploring who we are. Which brings us finally to our consistory. And all of them squirming going, oh no. Well, here's what you need to know about the consistory that is coming on. The most important thing you need to know about them is that they too are the beloved children of God. And they have been called by God with all of their history and with all of their futures to serve at this particular moment. Not they accepted the position, sorry, nominating committee, but I know sometimes we feel like that's the work we do, but the language we use is that they are ordained to the office, they are called to the office. We didn't pick them, God picked them. They are called with all of who they are to come and to serve at this moment. And so, yes, we're going to tap into that, lean into their stories as a way of informing the wider story that we share, which is St. Mary's United Church of Christ. But there is so much left for them to learn. They're here to become their truest selves in a way that they haven't been before. So to our consistory and to our congregation, I say, let's continue to ask the question, who are we? Who are you, consistory member, that God would call you into this place? And what work is God calling us to? Because consistory isn't sort of a pinnacle that you've arrived. It's another gate through which we walk that says God has more for us to learn. And they will challenge us if they're doing their jobs right. Who are we? What does it mean to be a people at this time and in this place? Boy, if any time in our lives has ever asked us, what in the world is going on? It is the time that we are enduring together. Let them ask that and let us provide answers and together let us figure out what it is that God is calling us to be even with all of the history that God has already done in us. 
Let us never stop wondering at what it is that God is yet calling us to be. Let us never stop asking, who are we? And never, never stop, never stop asking, I am the beloved child of God. What is left yet for me? And never let her, ne- excuse me, never let us stop being surprised at how God answers that question. 